I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, lifestyle, wellness, and self-development. Join me in uncovering the mysteries of beauty, anti-aging, and ultimate longevity with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the health revolution. Hello, beautiful one. Welcome to an all-new incredible episode of the Biohack Your Beauty podcast. I am so honored to have Brooke Kowal of Grounding Sky Wellness on the show today. Brooke is a nutritional therapy practitioner who works with women to help them nourish their hormones and fertility with ancestral foods and grounding practices. Our discussion is so full of empowering wisdom and information. I highly recommend listening all the way to the end. Some things we talk about include nose to tail nutrition, eating for fertility, how Brooke reversed her own infertility diagnosis, where vegetables fit into a nose to tail diet, how to nourish your gut, and veganism. Before we dive in, I want to mention that I am so excited to partner with Inside Tracker to give away an incredible Inside Tracker prize package one ultimate test and one inner age 2.0 analysis, a total $700 value. The ultimate test looks at 43 biomarkers, recommendations to improve your daily performance lowering your inner age, hello anti-aging, your metabolism, and your lifestyle. Inside Tracker is so special to me because they help me clearly see the connection between my health and my current lifestyle and what steps to take to give my body the nourishment it needs. If you want to enter, go to my Instagram page. The giveaway runs until April 21st, so don't miss out. And if you don't want to wait, you can use code Dora Vandekamp anytime and save 20%. All right, my loves, let's go to the show. Hello, Brooke. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I'm doing wonderful. I would love to just get started and dive right in because I have so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> you have so much wisdom. So you are a nutritional therapy practitioner. I would love to talk about nutritional therapy. What is nutritional therapy? Yeah, so nutritional therapy is a beautiful, it's a very bio-individual. So what we do is we create a foundation of health based on symptoms that the individual is experiencing. So we really address the foundations of digestion. We dig in deep to digestion, blood sugar, mineral balance, hydration, fatty acids, and see, get to the root of what is happening. We're not masking symptoms. So often people will come to me that they can't consume dairy. So they think they're lactose intolerant. But my question is always asking why, why aren't we consuming the dairy well? And we dig deeper into the root of what is happening. Same with hormonal balance. Lots of people were always chasing these symptoms of I have estrogen dominance. How can I take, maybe I can take chase tree to benefit this, but we're not addressing the root of what is happening. 
So in order to adjust the root, we need to address those foundations of digestion, blood sugar, fatty acids. Minerals are huge. So many of us are mineral depleted in this modern world we're living in. So that's the approach I take as a nutritional therapist is we're really addressing our body's innate and wisdom to heal and restore balance through lifestyle modifications, a real food approach, and then targeted supplementation. That's incredible. I love that so much. Yeah, it's lots of fun. Yeah. And I I love that you're talking about the root cause because I feel like a lot of people don't, don't necessarily because of our culture go that deep like if we have allergies so many people have allergies and seasonal allergies and a lot of times we're like oh it's the pollen or it's you know the dairy or nuts or whatever but there's always like an underlying cause and so I think it's really powerful to think of what are ways that you can address the root issue because often we're just masking the symptoms instead of actually doing something to change them. Yes, exactly. And I have a very strong belief that our bodies are always trying to return to homeostasis. So they're always working so hard for us to find balance. And I always try to shift our symptoms in a way of our body is just communicating with us. Like often we get so upset with our symptoms. We're mad at our bodies. Why am I experiencing this when our body is truly just trying to communicate with us and just be like, I need a little attention here. So if we can kind of switch that narrative and really appreciate how hard our bodies work for us every single day, it can be a really powerful shift for people. Um, and like work in conjunction with what our bodies are trying to do. We're, they're just trying to keep us alive all the time. So if we're stressed, <laughs> if we're running on cortisol and stress hormones, our bodies aren't going to prioritize things like reproduction and digestion. So we really need to bring it back to those foundations. And just, it's like building a house, laying a solid foundation of health so we can be resilient and robust and thriving and enjoy our cup of coffee and enjoy our dairy and everything's and have all the energy so we can enjoy all the things we want to do. Absolutely. I think that's so important to acknowledge because instead of taking out all of these different things that we think are the reason why it's so important, even with, with weight loss and weight gain, like Mm -hmm. culturally, that's such a big thing. And Mm -hmm. we, I think so many of us grow up hating our bodies because they're not doing what we think they should be doing and they stand out or they don't fit in. And it's really kind of sad to think about because in a way it kind of suppresses our body from healing and from being its best version. And Mm -hmm. if you think about it, and I like how you put this, like thinking of how hard our bodies are working for us constantly, like they are going 24 seven, they never, ever, ever, ever stop. How like blessed are we? How lucky are we that we have these amazing bodies? And So it's really cool to think of connecting and appreciating because on an energetic level, I think that's such a powerful way to, to get back to that place of like, how can I heal? How can I feel better? I think it's an emotional thing too. Yeah, definitely. And paying attention to our metabolic markers. I often find people are always searching for the magic test that's going to tell them everything that they need to know about what's going on. Um, And often things like blood tests only give us a window in time on that day. It's not, we're cyclical beings. So how are you sleeping? How are your cycles? How's your energy? 
How's your basal body temperatures looking? That really is so powerful to me because you know your body best. So let's just go back to the basics and how are you feeling? Are you waking up in the night? Things like that are so powerful and we can gauge those things throughout our work together and see that improvement because I want everyone to be sleeping through the night and that all comes back to nourishment. So are we eating enough? Are we eating breakfast? Are we pairing our proteins and carbs? Just very basic things that I think we all know in an, like an innate way, but there's just so much information coming at us all the time, how to navigate it and make it realistic for what we need to do. And like, we're all unique individuals. So there's always going to be different circumstances. So that's why I have a one-to-one -one practice, but in general, like we often need to kind of confront and question things we've been taught mm -hmm. um, and just kind of challenge that a little bit, which is always fun. It is. And I am thinking of learning to trust your body too, because yes. we live in a society where if anything is like minimally wrong, quote unquote wrong, we go to the doctor. We mm -hmm. don't trust our bodies really in general. We always think that we have to go outsource that care. And we also don't trust that our bodies are going to be able to heal on their own. We believe that we need to go see someone who has maybe more wisdom about it or to take a pill or even just like something like over the counter when people have a cold they take Sudafed or whatever it is and so I think it's just really interesting to think about that connection with your body and learning your body helps you also trust your body and not feel that constant fear of the unknown totally we have lost our innate knowledge of knowing how to nourish our body we're the only species who's confused on how to nourish our bodies how to give birth we have really lost this innate wisdom that I just don't think our bodies have caught up to this modern world mm -hmm. so if we can kind of big part of my work is bringing that connection back and just how can we honor our bodies and that's not going to be perfect every day but how can we really honor how hard like you said our bodies are working for us and yeah, we're often looking for that quick fix, that convenience. We're very much convenience culture. Um, okay, how can I, what pill is going to help me make me feel better right now without kind of thinking the long-term goal of how, like longevity and what impact that might have in the future. We're very much in a mindset of present, which is good, but in terms of sometimes with a quick fix, um, the thing about nutritional therapy, nutritional therapy is that I'm always saying this isn't a quick fix approach. This isn't band-aid solutions. We didn't get here overnight, so we shouldn't expect to be all better overnight. And this is a journey. We are always gonna be on this journey. Um, so it's just making those small shifts to really restore balance the best we can and be deeply rooted in what is best for us as an individual and bringing that connection back to knowing that because that's really, it's so overwhelming, everything that we're trying to do and all the information. So just bringing it back and figuring out what works best for us. Yeah. And it's beautiful that you're teaching this because many cultures, uh, at least of our ancestors, this was something you learned mm -hmm. in your daily life. It was like something you grew up with and now we're having to learn it as adults. <laughs> so yes, yeah. it's a totally different experience. I'd love to talk a little bit about your journey because you mentioned journeying and, and how did you decide to become a nutritional therapy practitioner? 
Yeah, so I've kind of had a long journey. Um, I my yeah, my fertility journey is what brought me here. So I guess I can start with I've always been in awe of the human body. My degree is in kinesiology and health studies. So I love learning the physiology behind how we work um, and how a movement is important, stress, nutrition, and how a holistic perspective is really needed, especially today. Um, but my fertility journey, I was told I was given an infertility um, diagnosis um, with complex ovarian cysts. And that really shook me to my core. Um, I'd been experiencing pain for months. No one could really give me an answer. They were like, you're just ovulating. You're fine. And I was being dismissed a lot. And it was so frustrating to navigate that um, when you know something's wrong. Um, so eventually I got a diagnosis, which I have beef with the diet word diagnosis because um, we really connect to that and identify with that. And I think our cells are always listening to us. So we need to really be conscious of that. Um, so I got di diagnosed with infertility and PCOS ovarian cysts. And it really rocked me because I want to have a family. Um, so I took, I said to the doctor, give me a year and I want to do this. So I dove deep into the work of nutritional therapy, into the work of nourishing my body and translating safety through an abundance of nourishing foods, satiating my nervous system with breath, grounding nature. And I just took things back to the foundations. And my story is I now don't have any cysts. I'm ovulating regularly. Um, and that's been my experience. I'm not saying that's everyone's experience, but just this work is so powerful. Um, and I really took a step back from the allopathic medicine and trusted, returned that trust to my body and that if given the right nourishment, we can heal. Um, many, of this many of these symptoms come down to just depletion, stress, things like that, that lack of trust that we talked about. So that's kind of my journey. So I have always been passionate about helping others so I dove into nutritional therapy um, and I'm also a small farmer. So I bring that into it too on connecting with our food, sourcing our food. I can tell everyone to eat the most amazing foods, but if we don't know how to properly source it and prepare it, we're kind of spinning our tires. So I kind of bring mold those two worlds together um, to connect both nutritional therapy, preparing our food, connecting back with our food, Food is our most intimate relationship and we've never been more disconnected. So that's kind of a bit about my journey. So right now I have a business grounding sky wellness um, and I'm farming. So it's always lots of fun. Oh my gosh. I have so many things that you touched <laughs> on that are amazing. The first thing I, I just want to mention, I think it's, a, I love that you live on a farm. I think it's an incredible feat. I know how much work it takes to run a farm my family in Holland are farmers so uh, I think it's I, there's something to me so sacred and beautiful about cows I just think they're the cutest mm -hmm. darlings in the world <laughs> they're so <laughs> amazing and lovely but I also know that it is you don't get a day off like it is so incredibly time and energy rich and I think it's amazing the rewards especially if you're able to source your own food from your farm uh, have you always been a farmer is this something that you grew up with yeah so 
I am a fifth generation farmer. I, yeah, we come, I come from a long line of prairie farmers. Um, so, and I've been, I grew up on the farm. So I've been part of this journey my whole life. And my parents never sheltered me from the heartbreak and the magic that we, and the ups and downs that we experienced, which I'm so appreciative of that. Cause I really um, was able to identify that deep connection with my food. Um, and then my husband and I bought our first farm in 2016 and a goal of really um, raising the food we couldn't buy. So for example, raw milk, which I believe is one of the most quality raw milk can, is one of the most nourishing foods um, is illegal in Canada. So we decided to get our own milk cows. So we um, milk cows, we raise as much food as we can. And then we have some beautiful local farmers that we source lots of our food from too. So um, I think it's really important when we can to stay local, stay seasonal um, and really honor that animal in every way we can, because what a huge sacrifice. Um, but honoring our physiology as humans, we need animal foods in our diet. So I think, yeah, it's been a beautiful journey and it's lots of up and downs. We are calving right now and it's, there's a snowstorm happening. So <laughs> I was night checking babes all night. So yeah, it's lots of fun. I always, we can romanticize it a lot. And I think people are like, I want a farm. And I'm like, just volunteer on a farm first, get your feet wet and see what it's like. Um, Cause it is, it is hard. And you yeah. won't, we don't travel. We don't go very far. So yeah. sacrifices, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's very, I think you're right. It's very, especially in the last few couple of years, it's very romanticized to do homesteading and farming, yeah. but it is such a far cry from the way we live normally, like most of us in our warm house, you know, inside, yeah. <laughs> you get your food delivered to your door. It's so, you're just constantly outside. You're doing a lot of, you know, you're in the dirt, which yeah. is a beautiful thing. And I think it's mm -hmm. something like the most powerful thing. And I, even though it's very romanticized, I still dream of having that one day too. So we'll see, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing, but you're right. I think it is a lot of, a lot of work and you can't just go off to Bali or something, you know, mm -hmm. you have to really think beforehand and I guess organize yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. I always remind people, especially if you are drawn to animal husbandry, like you're looking after things with heartbeats. So we need to really, and things can go wrong, no matter how much you prepare, things will go wrong. Um, but just to be mindful of the fact that these are living things that rely on you, no matter if it's Christmas, if it's minus 40, if you're tired, if you don't want to go outside for the day, like if it's snowing, um, they rely on you. So, which is a beautiful thing. That relationship is very intimate and rewarding, but it's a lot of work. So yeah, I always just recommend people before they dive in just to volunteer on a local farm and just learn from, learn like soak in that wisdom from a farmer that is happy to share that always. Yeah. I think that's so cool. And I like that you're talking about that connection too, because there is a huge vegan movement right yeah. now. And I actually, I was a vegetarian. I became one at 12 years old and I was vegetarian for 16 years. I was very into veganism. I was a raw vegan for a long time. So I've definitely been through that kind of cycle and I got really sick, which was just my personal story. I know that people have different experiences with veganism, but I think it's really cool because something that we talk about a lot 
is connecting with the animal and, and honoring the cycle of their life. And I know that you have read Weston Price's book, um, Mm -hmm. Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And can you talk a little bit about the approach of veganism and how you kind of cope with that? Or how do you address that when people say, well, you're, you're killing an animal and it's wrong. What's kind of your take on that? I have so many things to say. (laughs) I really respect where vegans are coming from because they are passionate about the quality of life of that animal. And many vegans I talk to, that is where they're coming from. But I also remind them to, we can take it from two standpoints, I guess I'll approach this, but honoring our physiology as humans, what are bioavailable nutrients, what provides unparalleled nutrient density that we can't find in other foods, we find that in animal foods. So for example, if we look at vitamin A, true formed retinol, we can only find that in animal foods. So oftentimes people will be eating carrots and things like that. And they're saying, oh, I'm getting vitamin A for my eyesight. But what they're getting is beta carotene, which needs to be converted by the body into true retinol, which happens at a very low conversion rate. So instead, I approach it, let's drink some full fat dairy, let's include some liver into your life. I know that's really intimidating, but there's great options for desiccated organ meats. Um, Let's introduce, introduce eggs. And so that really is the building blocks of our body and satiating and just providing us with the most nutrient density that we can find. Um, I love plant foods. I have nothing against plant foods, but let's pair those with animal foods just to honor our health and our physiology. I'm not a ruminant. I don't have four stomachs that I can break down all this cellulose in plants. So I'm going to let my dairy cow eat pasture. She's under the sun. She's going to convert that beta carotene in the grass into retinol for me, and I'm going to enjoy her milk. So that's just kind of, I find people, if they can open their mind to that, I always love the conversations I have with vegans on that. And then also their standpoint on animal quality of life. I find many people are blanketing like CAFO farmers, conventional farmers on all farmers. So I really, on my Instagram page with my business, I'm really trying to show that that's not the only way. And there is farmers raising animals that live meaningful and rich life. And meaningful life that it's just they're under the sun they're on pasture the way nature intended Um, my animals are very happy and they live longer lives we don't harvest animals at a young age like many conventional farmers do Um, so our animals are living a beautiful life and they have one bad day but they it's just amazing to me it's hard to put into words when you're not experiencing it but I often challenge the fact that is monocropping the answer, how much life is destroyed when we are monocropping, like complete ecosystems are destroyed, soil, life, birds, like things we don't think of. Um, And then also, I don't know, like my animals can't live in the wild and animals don't fight, but die peacefully in the wild as well. So I think that's contrasting that with a humane harvest where we're honoring every bit of that animal nose to tail I don't think people can do that when they buy from the grocery store. Um, When I prepare a meal, I know the animal. I honor that life in every way I can. And there's so much gratitude that I have. And that nourishes me on a level that I can't put into words. So 
that's how I kind of approach it. And oftentimes people aren't ready to hear that side of it and that's okay. So I just encourage people to always find, um, connect with their local Weston A. Price chapter leader, find a farm and go visit that farm, a farm that's using regenerative practices. Um, I think the term regenerative gets overused a lot. Um, so we need to <laughs> go to the farm, connect, and really see how those animals are being raised. And that's a huge part in bridging that connection. Um, and not all animals are living in confinement and have never seen the sun on their face. So I think it's important to really see a different perspective and not blanket that paradigm on all farmers because I find that happens a lot. So I just try to open that conversation up. Sometimes it's welcome, sometimes it's not, but I do work with lots of vegetarians and vegans that are trying to incorporate more animal foods into their life. So I try to bridge that connection as a nutritional therapist and also as someone who raises happy, healthy animals, mm -hmm. um, just to show there's another way to do it. And yeah, because I don't support conventional farming. I think lots of people think if you're promoting animal foods, you're just that, and I'm not. Um, I will say any meat is better than no meat coming from a nutrition standpoint, because we can't replace the nutrients in meat with other foods. But if, if it's important to you to source quality foods, there's many ways to do that. And that's a huge part of what I do with clients. I love you said everything so beautifully and, and eloquently. And I think it's also a testament to how much we are disconnected with nature, mm -hmm. because in nature, nature is not, not an easy place. And mm. I've talked about this in some other episodes, but if you watch animals in the wild, even in our neighborhood, you know, we have a falcon that is flying around our neighborhood all the time and, and he's he making sure he gets fed. And sometimes yeah. it's baby birds or it's eggs. Sometimes it's little animals, but in the wild, animals die all the time, all the time. And it's part of nature. It's not something that's out of, order it's absolute balance and so because I think we're so disconnected from nature and also we're so comfortable in our <clears throat> in our daily lives we don't see that we don't see what it looks like to um you know our ancestors they they killed chickens and and cows and it was part of what they needed to do and I think just knowing that that is part of the natural cycle uh mm -hmm. it's it's hard sometimes for us to stomach and I, you know, when I stopped being a vegan and I ate my first piece of meat after 16 years, it was a very emotional experience. And I, I found that I found the meat, I went, you know, searching for something that was sustainably and ethically raised. And it was a very emotional experience for me, but yeah, I think we are just so disconnected. Most of us that we don't really realize how, intense it is to be in nature for an animal mm -hmm. yeah we are all part of this food web and we our society is so scared of any kind of death we just want to disconnect from it and hide from it and that often means people opting out of the system but we can't have a bloodless meal I say like we can't everything we're doing has an impact and when we're shipping things across the world um, that has an impact. So we just need to, I, like I like to say, I will, one day my body is going to return to this soil. So until then, I'm going to raise happy, healthy animals. 
Um, and I won't shortchange my life or my animal's life by not having that connection with them. Cause lots of people will be like, how can you love your animals so much and then harvest them? And that's something that I write about a lot on my page. Um, and it's kind of reflected on what I said earlier, but yeah, I'm not gonna shortchange their lives by not having a relationship with them because it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And just for people to um, reconnect with the food on their plate again is such a powerful way to nourish ourselves and rekindle that ancestral wisdom that we've lost, um, which I think is a lot of work and it's challenging. We're gonna have to challenge ourselves, but it's really powerful in terms of reclaiming our health reclaiming our culinary wisdom we're just honestly on this path of reclamation in so many ways mm. and you talk a lot about nose to tail nutrition so mm -hmm. what is nose to tail nutrition so you mentioned Weston A. Price which I love and I'm not too sure if your audience is familiar with who he is I'm sure you've talked about him before I've talked about him a little yeah. bit but if you want to talk about him we can talk about him He's yeah great. <laughs> so Wesley Price was a dentist who traveled the world um, to contrast in the 1930s which always amazes me um, but he contrasted the health of traditional cultures with the health of industrialized cultures that were consuming processed modernized foods and he observed that the cultures who started to consume processed flowers vegetable oils things like that their health really declined and he was seeing that generationally um, and the cultures that continued to eat their nourishing traditional diet thrived. And so he came up with 11 principles, I think that um, is on the Weston A. Price website. He has an amazing book that people can read. Um, but one of those um, principle was that nose to tail cultures ate the animal nose to tail. So this meant the organs, the fat, the bones, the marrow, and the organs and fats preferred. And in his book, he talks about indigenous cultures actually discarding the muscle meat and giving it to their dogs, which is really interesting because they had that innate wisdom that the organs and the fats contain that dense nutrition. So when I'm speaking nose to tail, I'm literally speaking nose to tail. So we're honoring the whole animal and all those neglected odd bits. So often I encourage people to start with things like bone broths, which is really easy to make. And I know this is going to sound intimidating. And a lot of this work is reclaiming that culinary wisdom, like I said, and reclaiming our palates. We have like these hyper palatable foods that everything tastes good. And we really need to work to reclaim that. I often ask people, when was the last time we tasted a bitter food? And bitter is such an important part of our diet. So I don't expect people to think liver is going to taste like a salty chip. It's not, but um, <laughs> we can make sure we're introducing things. And especially the standpoint of veganism, we are honoring that whole animal. There's no waste. So when we harvest an animal, we are literally saving organs, bones, all the meat, all the cartilage, sinewy bits, and lots of odd cuts that people aren't familiar with cooking with. So often people are just familiar with muscle meats, ground meats. But from a nutritional standpoint, we really want to um, get that complete amino acid profile. And that's gonna come with alongside eating cuts like the shank, a chuck roast, oxtail, beef cheeks, things that contain those gelatinous, collagenous bits that really nourish us, nourish our tissues. Um, and fats are the building blocks to our cells. We need those to thrive. So just every odd bit, organ meats, I could 
I just, organ meats are amazing. I think everyone should be including them in some form and how blessed are we that people desiccate them so we can take them in a pill if we're not comfortable with it. But it comes, organ meats come with a wide variety of nutrients in its most absorbable form that we can't find anywhere else. Um, so I think everyone should start incorporating some liver um, if they can in a desiccated form. If they wanna try some pâtés, you can grind it up, sneak it into ground meat. Um, things like that. There's lots of fun ways to kind of introduce it into your kitchens. Um, but lots of that is sourcing, um, trying to connect with the local farmers, find a quality source. Um, but yeah, honoring that whole animal every odd bit. I'm really passionate about that because this is also a great way to stretch our food budget as well. Yeah. Um, it's not just all ribeyes yeah. at the table. Absolutely. <laughs> It's so interesting because we do have such an aversion in our culture. Like you just mentioned that too. Like we just want everything to taste good. And it's funny because I grew up in, in Holland and we ate liverwurst like all the time. And oh my God, I could eat liverwurst literally like with a spoon all day long. Like it's so good. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh. Uh, But there are other things like my, my partner, he's, Chinese American and he grew up I mean he puts me to shame like I had liverwurst that was about it he ate everything like uh, chicken feet beef tongue Mm -hmm. um you know I mean just every single kind of nose to tail thing you can think of he's eaten and I always think it's amazing because he's also so healthy I feel like his foundation was so good because he had all of these different nutrients and a lot of it was made in soups so I I would love to know when you talk about like the organs is that something that you like you said liver liver pate what about the other organs how would you um, incorporate those into your diet yeah I actually if someone wants to cook with organs I often recommend the heart as the first thing that they cook with or prepare because it's has a similar texture to muscle meat. So if we can do like a slow braise, so sear it in your Dutch oven, put some aromatics with some broth, a splash of red wine, tuck it into the oven all day and just let it just simmer away. It is so good. I, that's how I often get my clients to like dive in like okay let's prepare a heart and so oftentimes we're jumping on zooms together literally preparing something <laughs> together because people are so intimidated <laughs> or intimidated by the process um or beef tongue is so delicious and it's so like we're buying all these collagen powders and I'm like there's so much collagen in a beef tongue and gelatin um and I understand we all your listeners are probably like oh, this is like I can't do this. but you can do we can do hard things um But yeah, we just have to dive in. And I, yeah, that's like, there's people like us out there to support people through this transition, but beef tongue, I don't, it's not an organ, but I necessarily, I see it as a very odd cut. And then things like tripe, spleen and stuff is often prepared in soups, like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a huge Filipino community in here and they prepare, they use every odd bit and lots of it's stews and soups that include those odd bits. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Chicken liver mousse is a delicacy. Yeah, when we think of other cultures, it's like these foods are delicacies and we just are like, throw them away, put them, yeah. 
So incredible. Yeah. There's so many fun options and, but it's just a lot of work mentally and physically to figure out how to do it. So I really support my clients in that transition because it's hard. I didn't, I think people think I like grew up. I was like born and I loved broth and liver and I did not. Um, So I really work now to reclaim that. And now I crave liver. Like it just gives me so much vitality and energy that my body, it's like our bodies know this has been ingrained in us for generations. Um, So especially from a health standpoint, this is unparalleled Mm. nutrients. So it's important to include for sure. And you mentioned, you've mentioned this on your page too, that um, fertility is a marker of your health. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of talk about fertility because you mentioned your own journey with that and now talking about nutrition and just, it's a staggering, the number of people who are struggling with fertility nutrition being kind of the foundation and, and the basis of how we are not only eating, but are growing our children, right? Like the way that we uh, eat when we're pregnant and even before we conceive, it has such an impact on the child that is born and how they live and whether they are fertile when they are ready to have a baby as well. So can you talk a little bit about fertility and why um, nutrition has such an impact on on fertility? Definitely. So I often say fertility is a marker of our health. And I just want to preface by saying I'm compassionate. There's always bio-individual circumstances, but we can't address everything. But just overall, fertility is really a marker of our health. So whether we have strong, consistent ovulations, are we producing adequate progesterone, which is our life-giving hormone? Like if we think progesterone um, gestation, it's helped us carry our pregnant, a healthy pregnancy and progesterone needs retinol from those animal foods. It needs copper, it needs magnesium. So really nourishing ourselves on the cellular level and our fertility is an expression of our endocrine system. So often I feel we don't be, we aren't mindful of our fertility until we're trying to conceive. And we don't think about that preconception window that is so important in terms of making sure we have adequate nutrients. We are literally building another human and another organ. And then we need to breastfeed that baby. Hopefully we have the ability to breastfeed. I know that's not circumstances for everyone, but um, we can really reduce lots of the complications. Um, I believe we can. And the work of Weston A. Price and many other practitioners um, talks about that of how that preconception window is so important in terms of the vitality of the mother and the baby. And I'm really passionate about supporting moms. Loss of energy is always focused on the baby, which of course is important, but what about mom? How can we support her postpartum and make sure she's feeling supported and nourished in every way possible? Cause that is just, it's just so important. And mom's long health, long-term health as well. As a baby, every pregnancy draws 10% of mom's minerals. Mm. So we really need to be mindful of that as well and just making sure we have adequate nutrients. And for, from my perspective as a practitioner, that is always gonna include animal foods mm. in terms of restoring and having a thriving um, fertile body that is robust and resilient and can carry life. Um, Cause yeah, it's just, 
I just find it so amazing. And I see it every day, even with animals. I'm like, this is the miracle of life is just, there's so much we don't understand. There's so much magic, but I really think our society needs to prioritize and that preconception window. And we are very much an instant gratification society. I want to have a baby right now, mm. but I really encourage people, let's take three to six months and optimize our nutrient stores um, for you and babe. Nutrition has such an impact. And I think a lot of women, especially when they become aware, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Like you said, it's yeah. not something that we really talk about in our, our society. So I think it's beautiful that you're teaching this because women are thirsty for this knowledge. It's just that they're not aware that it's out there. The other thing that we see a lot is women who are older looking to become pregnant, especially because of careers and finding a partner. There's so many different reasons why women do want to get pregnant later on in their lives. So maybe in their late thirties, even early forties, late forties, even. Uh, So do you think that with this nutrition, uh, nutritional approach, that that's something that's really possible? A hundred percent. Yes. We can see that in traditional cultures that women were giving birth in their late fifties and sixties, which I think is truly something that we think is wild, but in terms of how we live our lives today, it really makes sense how we are living in a very degenerative state. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is definitely possible. And just bringing it back to the foundations, like I said, are we eating enough? What are we nourishing ourselves with? And how is our stress? How is our sleep? Just really focusing on those foundations. I definitely think that's possible. I try not to put limitations on the human body because it's so amazing. Um, And if we just support it, as much as we can of course there's always going to be stress but if we can just build this resilient body I think things are we're capable of so much um and yeah I wouldn't want to put a limit on that for sure but yeah I think we are capable of much more than we give our bodies credit for and it comes down to just those bioavailable nutrients like I talked about earlier too I wouldn't try to out supplement my way Right. You do that. I think we really need to build that foundation of nourishment mm-hmm. first, definitely. And where do vegetables come in? Because there's a lot of talk these mm-hmm. days, especially about plant toxins and how those mm-hmm. have an effect on your body. So in your kind of a view, where do vegetables come into the into the mix? Yeah. So I always say people are like, oh, well, you don't eat vegetables. I'm like, no, I eat vegetables. <laughs> I'm not a low carb practitioner. I love carbs. We need carbs. Like our liver needs carbs. We need glucose. We need this fuel to run optimally, especially women and especially in terms of fertility. But we can always be mindful of the anti-nutrients that plant contains. So that may look like soaking, sprouting, fermenting some plant foods to make sure we are breaking down those anti-nutrients so we can absorb them optimally. So for example, rice, you can soak your rice, sourdough bread, fermenting vegetables, um, cooking vegetables rather than eating them raw, or you're massaging your kale salad to break down those anti-nutrients. There's so many um, strategies to include vegetables that won't irritate your gut as much. Um, 
And then just supporting our body on a digestive level. Do we have adequate stomach acid to break down these foods? What's the state of our small intestine? Things like that. So always kind of twofold. How are we preparing? And then also what is the state of our digestive health? Um, but yeah, I love carbs. Like <laughs> give me all the root vegetables. Yeah. I'm like a potato lover. Um, and we need them. Yeah, like we need them. All these studies on fasting and low carb are often done on college age men. So we need to be mindful of that. And our body is always craving safety all the time. So let's make sure we are translating that safety through enough food. 90% of my clients are under eating and they don't think they're under eating, but they are. So we really need to kind of unlearn and just keep, keep introducing a wide variety of foods. I'm not a yes or no food person. I think we should, the more foods we can eat, the better. Um, yeah, vegetables are great. I love them. Yes. It's amazing, actually, how many things we have to unlearn. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's actually very intimidating. It's, and it's overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Like, oh, another thing. You talk a lot about nutrition and fertility. And so I just want to talk for a moment about the gut, because gut health mm -hmm. has been something that more and more people are talking about and becoming aware of. So when it comes to eating nose-to-tail nutrition, how is the gut nourished by nose-to-tail nutrition? Yeah, so lots of these odd cuts are going to contain things like gelatin and collagen that really heal and seal the small intestine of our gut so we can actually absorb the nutrients from our food. I always say, people always say we are what we eat, but I like to counter that. Lots of people counteract that with we are what we absorb. So what are we actually absorbing? We can eat the best foods, but if our digestive, in a, is in a, digestive system is in a state of dysfunction, um, we really need to target that. So those nose to tail cuts are going to provide all those healing nutrients, all that retinol, B vitamins, connective tissue, that's really going to nurture our gut health. And also digestion only happens in a rest or digest parasympathetic state. So I always, and it starts from our brain and then down. So we really need to, I encourage clients to slow down and be mindful how they're eating their meal. Are they watching TV? Are they even chewing their food thoroughly? Are we having gratitude for the food on their plate? And people are like, that's not going to make a difference. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we need to slow down. And it's so uncomfortable for people. I'll ask people, put a timer in your phone, sit down with your meal, like prerequisites for a good meal to me are you have a fork and a bowl, you're sitting down at a table and you're just enjoying that meal. You're savoring the smells, the textures, the taste, the aroma, everything. Um, and that's all signals, things to our brain that gets our um, enzymes going, our saliva, you, you know, when you like smell something good and your saliva starts to develop, that's our body priming for digestion. So I really just try to encourage that we need to slow down, set a timer on our phone and just eat your food too thoroughly, have gratitude. And that's going to make a tremendous impact on our gut health. So when someone's introducing things like liver pate or raw dairy is a big one that people are often stressed when they're eating it. And then they have a reaction and they think, I, this food is bad for me. I can't eat it. But often that stress response, we're kind of self-sabotaging. So we really need to work to eat in a calming state because mm -hmm. um, our body's always listening to us. Our nervous system runs the show. So yeah, I really encourage that, especially for things like raw dairy, because that's a very um, controversial thing that people need to unlearn a lot. So 
introducing that is always fun. I love the, I love raw dairy. I grew up, so my family, I have a farm and maybe Mm -hmm. you do this too, but in the morning, you know, you have just a fresh canister of milk and there's just a layer of fat on top and it's still warm. Like it's so Mm -hmm. good. And it's so beautiful because it's exactly the way that it's full of probiotics. It's full of bacteria. It's so rich and fatty and thick. But again, I think it's a mind game too. Like you said, you kind of have to learn or unlearn and relearn at the same time that this is a nourishing food for you and that it's, it's meant to be the texture and the taste and the smell and everything about it is, it's actually supposed to be like that. It's not unnatural, even though it feels unnatural to us. Yeah. We want these perfect uniform foods that are like perfect because people often the cream line that comes on raw dairy, they're like, what is this? I'm like, that's just the cream rising to the top. That's just the magic that it is. Um, and I really encourage people to try raw dairy if they are having issues with pasteurization, because this is kind of going down a tangent about raw dairy, but raw dairy contains an enzyme lactase that is needed to actually and optimally digest and absorb dairy. So when we pasteurize milk, it kills that enzyme. And so we are no longer able to break it down. And often the state of our nutrient deficiencies, we aren't producing the enzyme lactase. So that's something to be mindful of. I often encourage people to try raw dairy if they can't tolerate raw dairy, there's often another root problem happening. So that doesn't mean to eliminate entire, demonize entire nourishing food groups. Let's again, get to the root. Um, And yeah, like raw dairy comes with all these amazing cofactors. So our vitamins and minerals work synergistically. So it comes in all this magic, the way nature intended, our fat soluble vitamins, everything that are needed to absorb it optimally. So I just think it's beautiful. We're always trying to smart out nature, but we, <laughs> we just are. need to trust that. Yeah. We're just, we, we need to stop isolating nutrients yeah. and taking synthetic forms and just really be mindful of the detrimental impact that may have. Um, but yeah, raw dairy, if everyone could, some, I work hard to make sure everyone who messages me can find raw dairy. <laughs> I love like, that. That's amazing. <laughs> we're lucky. We have it at the local grocery store. So we're, I mean, we're so spoiled. Oh my gosh. We're so spoiled. It's amazing. Yeah. California is awesome in that way. For like, I'm like, you can buy it at the store. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're so lucky. Oh my gosh. You also teach grounding and I just want to make sure we touch on this. What What are grounding practices and how do they help us? Yeah. So the earth is always giving off a charge and we need to really we are always wearing shoes or in our car on rubber tires we are never in contact with the earth anymore and I think that is so important in terms of grounding ourselves like satiating our nervous system it's so powerful so I often encourage people to get your toes in the grass if possible and often people bug me because where I live it's winter time nine months of the year and they're like how do you ground yourself and I'm like I'm hugging trees I'm immersing myself in nature I'm observing all the things that are happening around me I'm touching snow it's not just like literally putting your feet on the ground there's so many ways to do it and we're just gathering those electrons from the earth and lots of people think that's um I don't know what the word is it seems it doesn't we're just so out of touch with it but there's lots of many studies on the benefits of grounding especially with our EMF exposure today we really need to take the time to disconnect 
turn that Wi-Fi router off at night, turn your phone on airplane mode, airplane mode and just immerse yourself in nature again. Mm -hmm. Just lay down and just look up at the sky and take some deep breaths. I And one of the huge parts, um, first things I do with my client is prioritize that morning sunshine. And these are all things that are free. Like we all can take five minutes to feel that sun on our face in the morning, set our circadian rhythms and just, I don't know, drink it all up. I think our nervous systems are just so deprived of all of this. And even concrete, put your feet on the concrete. We don't need to be in the forest all the time. Just get your feet out of those shoes, which that's a whole nother conversation of what shoes are doing yeah. to our feet. But <laughs> um, it's just like, <laughs> there's just so many things. And of course we can't control everything. So I always encourage people, what are your non-negotiables? Like I can't control everything. So kind of what are your non-negotiables? One of those for me is morning sunlight because it's just so powerful. Um, so yeah, grounding. We just all need to be more grounded, definitely. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. So we have three questions we ask all of our guests on mm. the podcast. So mm -hmm. the first one is, what is your definition of beauty? Oh gosh, what is my definition of beauty? That's a hard one. I think just being grounded and rooted. We were just talking about grounded. Being rooted and confident in who you are and what nourishes you deeply, I think is such a powerful thing we can have um, in terms of feeling good in our skin, um, everything like that. I think it's hard to put a definition on that, but I think just coming back home to ourselves, reconnecting and yeah, just relearning, reconnecting and trying to figure out what is best for us is one of the most powerful things we can do for ourselves. And it just all comes back to nourishment for me. Um, if we're nourished, we're going to feel amazing. So I hope that made sense. Yes, I love that. It's beautiful. Um, question two, what is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for our listeners? I think, well, my answers are going to be the same. I think <laughs> trying to incorporate some of those nutrient dense foods we talked about today, um, cause that's going to really nourish us from the inside out. Definitely, we need to prioritize um, nourishing ourselves deeply, but also like on a cellular level, but a soul level, like get back to things you enjoy, like make time for that if we can, five minutes. Um, let's really bring that back for sure. But yeah, and then get some morning sunshine. We shouldn't be afraid of the sun. Like another thing, we shouldn't be afraid of the sun. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Exactly. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> and then where can people find you? Yeah, so I think the best place would be on Instagram. I'm active on, active on there a lot at Grounding Sky Wellness. Um, and that's where you can find um, lots of bovine therapy, lots of nutrition tips, um, lots of nourishment. And then also if you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, um, I do, I'll be opening more spaces soon. So people can apply to work with me there via the link in my profile on Instagram. So yeah, reach out to me there. I love chatting all things nourishment. Yay. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, thank you so, so much, Brooke. This was awesome. I can't thank wait you to for share. having me. It was great to chat. 
If you loved this episode, please give this podcast a positive review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps us spread the word about the power of holistic health and beauty, and it helps this podcast grow. If you share your favorite takeaways from this episode on Instagram, please make sure to tag me so I can reshare. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful week.